a lot of diehard firefighter, fire eater types, they, you know, they're not real big on the medical aspect, especially, you know, that's just more and more of what we all do. And it's, you know, it's just part of the territory, part of the scope of what we do now. Enchanted Sky Media. Media. From Los Angeles, this is Code 3, the Firefighters Podcast, hosted by award-winning journalist Scott Orr. Code 3 features interviews with leading members of the fire service discussing firefighting strategy, tactics, and other topics you need to know more about. Now, here's Scott. That's right, and I will not let Parkinson stop me. Thank you for joining me again here on Code 3. As always, you are listening to the show for and about firefighters. Let's get started. As you may have heard, the two things firefighters hate the most are change and the way things are now. You've probably heard that quote from the late Alan Brunacini before, but it's still true and it'll remain true as long as there is a fire service. Because this profession is so steeped in tradition, it's hard to accept some of the changes that have come along. The helmet debate is just one of them, and it is still raging. Yet no one really argues in favor of the old-style rubber hip boots, although a lot of firefighters would like to be able to keep their turnouts grimy as a badge of honor. But now, some departments don't even put on clean turnouts until they arrive at a scene. Things have definitely changed. Here to reminisce and talk about the positive changes, as well as some he doesn't necessarily like, is Daniel Schaffner. Daniel is the PIO and Strategic Initiatives Manager for the Burlington, North Carolina Fire Department. With 25 years' experience in the fire service, He is also a volunteer with Mount Hope Community Fire Department in Guilford County, North Carolina. There, he follows in the footsteps of his father and grandfather, who were charter members. He has served with several other fire and EMS organizations in North Carolina as well, and he's also on the faculty of the Fire Service and Emergency Medical Services Departments of Guilford Technical Community College. And Daniel Schaffner joins me now. Welcome to Code 3. Uh, hi, Scott. Thank you again for having me today. I really appreciate the opportunity to talk with folks about the changes in the fire service over the past 40, 50 years. You have a slightly different viewpoint than some people because you're a third-generation firefighter. So with that in mind, what is the biggest change the fire service has seen over the last few decades from your point of view? Scott, it's it's hard for me to pinpoint one major change, but what I will talk about is a lot of different major changes that I've really seen. And yes, I'm a third generation firefighter. Uh, My grandfather uh, was a volunteer. My dad was a volunteer assistant chief. And uh, then I became a volunteer for a number of years. And now I'm in a career department in administration. And a lot of the things that I've seen change in my lifetime from the time I was a child, um, hanging around the firehouse with my dad, uh, to now is just technology for one is just, you know, we we didn't, there wasn't much back then. Um, In the late seventies, early eighties, when my dad started, I know they got notified by 
phone tree. And then they had just a stationary plectron that if you weren't around the house, you didn't know a call happened unless you heard the station siren. And I know there's a few stations that still have those, but uh, for the most part, I know in our area, they're gone. And uh, then, of course, we transitioned into portable pagers that, uh, you know, I, even when I started in the early 90s, I had a large Motorola Miniature One, which we all refer to as a brick. And today, I pretty much just get notified of everything on my smartphone. Uh, I rarely carry my voice pager. I just have everything on my phone in, in terms of my volunteer department. So nowadays, we have it much easier in terms of getting a hold of people. I mean, with an app on your phone, the app can tell you what the call is, where it is, and everything else you need to know instead of just to call in. So does that change the atmosphere for a volunteer? I think it does change the atmosphere. And along with that change, unfortunately, in our area, and I know this is, we're not alone in this, but just the volunteerism, uh, the amount of volunteers available out there has also drastically decreased. While, while we have all these new tools that help us do our jobs better and more efficiently, there's fewer people stepping forward to do them. And uh, I'm not going to deny that uh, I'm not uh, much of a volunteer anymore either, just due to job commitments, family commitments. And it's not sure how that's going to translate into our fire service in rural communities going forward, but uh, there's obviously been a change and decline there in a lot of areas. Fire chief with whom I'm familiar has given a talk to several people who have said, well, why don't you just beef up your department with some volunteers? And his response is, things aren't the same as they used to be. And when they said, what do you mean? He said, well, for instance, are you going to let one of your employees leave for two, three hours to go on a medical call, then come back to work? Well, no, probably not. Well, there you go. That's number one right there. Absolutely. And the other thing is so many people, so many communities are now bedroom communities where people commute out to work. And for instance, our fire district, we're located in the Piedmont Tribe metro area of central North Carolina. And we're just outside of Greensboro. In fact, we our department actually runs calls with Greensboro sometime. And they're a larger municipal department. They've got about between 20 and 25 stations and other ISO-1. Uh, and we'll occasionally run with some of their companies on the outer fringes of the city uh, that they'll come actually out to us. And we're seeing more of that because we just can't put an effective force on scene without getting a lot more assistance from neighboring departments. And, and we just don't have enough people that live and work in our district anymore. So even going along with what you said, even if we had employers that would allow that, it's difficult to find people that still work in the community. And granted, we're still, our district has places to work. We have a very, very district. We have very rural areas and we have large industrial park with a number of large manufacturing facilities. And we have a lot of what I would refer to as a more suburban, densely populated uh, neighborhood with city water and sewer in them as well. But it's just difficult to find people that are as community focused as they used to be. All right, let's talk about gear because everybody seems to enjoy that. Okay. I will skip past the helmet debate for a moment. And, you know, here in Los Angeles where we're based, 
For many years, Los Angeles County firefighters wore what they called flame-retardant pants during the business hours of the day. Yes. They would only put on turnouts at night. Now, I think most people would agree that that's a worthwhile change. (laughs) But are there changes in turnouts overall that people don't like, or are they still... Are they still keeping up with what people want? I, I think the uh, turnout gear manufacturers are really trying to keep up with what the firefighter wants. And uh, yeah, I know a couple of different manufacturers are really gearing it more towards an athletic style fit and wear. And that's something here at uh, Career Department that we're purchasing a newer athletic style of gear for our personnel. And we're transitioning into that. And the folks that have it love it. They say it just it's so much lighter. They have so much more flexibility. It's not as bulky. And it's a far cry from when I was a child and I would try to put on a couple of things here. I would try to put on my dad's turnout gear, which was it consisted of hip boots, a very long coat, and a helmet that's on the wall back behind me. Of course, we've transitioned a long way from that, number one. And the other thing is, unless my turnout gear is spotless clean, my children don't put it on because we've become more aware of a lot of things as it relates to cancer prevention. But going back to the question, I do think the turnout gear manufacturers really are trying to keep up with what can help the firefighter do their job better, uh, more efficiently, and just more comfortably as well. I'll be back with more right after this. Don't miss your chance to get your hands on the hottest logo wear around. Code 3 Podcast Gear makes you look good and tells the world you're a fan. Now you can wear the Code 3 logo proudly. Just go to our website, Code3Podcast.com. Click the banner and you'll be able to order an assortment of cool apparel and accessories. And thanks for supporting the podcast that supports firefighters. I think it's worthwhile to go over helmets for a few minutes. You know, the helmet debate is raging. But what I've noticed sort of as an an outsider without a real dog in the fight is that people who want to advocate for the traditional helmet advocate for the tradition and then try to find rationale for it. Whereas people who are in favor of what we're calling the Euro helmet just talk about the utility of how much better it is. Where do you stand and what experiences have you had? I have never actually tried to wear a European-style helmet. Uh, The chief of uh, my volunteer community department, he actually had one for a while. Uh, when he was Before he made chief and he was a captain of the department, he had actually obtained one. And he loved it. He got poked fun at a little bit by some, and then others were very curious. But he, he, he said he loved it. Now, granted, he, as chief, he's got a traditional style today, but he, he's more of a, in a command role most of the time and doesn't put it on very often. Uh, and as for myself, I have traditional helmets here at work and in my community department. But honestly, I, I'll admit it. If I'm wearing it for any long period of time, I would much rather have a even an older style contemporary helmet or something smaller like the European style. Uh, We were having a conversation yesterday, uh, one of our battalion chiefs and myself and a couple other, uh, another captain, and we were just talking about how 
you know, one thing I'm, I'm not a very tall person. I'm only five foot seven. So when I wear my traditional helmet, I've got an air pack on. If I'm crawling around, I can't even really lift my head without the back of my helmet hitting my air pack. So I lose a lot of visibility. I lose flexibility. Whereas with even a contemporary style or even something like LA fire has a, a Phoenix helmet, I believe I, I would be able to have a lot more mobility. Uh, and it's a lot more comfortable. Uh, again, I'm, I like the look of my traditional helmet, but aside from aesthetics, it's from a practical standpoint, I, you know, I don't want to wear it for hours at a time. <laughs> I get that. Let's move on to medical now. Okay. Back in the 70s, the TV show Emergency popularized the idea that firefighters could also be paramedics. Yes. Seems to me that over the years, departments have started to require more and more firefighters to have at least an EMT certification, if not medic. Yeah. But now it sounds like departments that are heading toward using their own ambulances are starting to move firefighters into an ambulance role. Yes. That can't make traditionalists very happy. Right. Where do you stand on that? Well, I go back to... You know, our, our primary goal in the fire service is life safety. Uh, property cons- conservation generally comes second, at least uh, where I work. Uh, life safety is number one. And you're right. A lot of diehard firefighter, fire eater types, they, you know, they're not real big on the medical aspect, especially, you know, that's just more and more of what we all do. I, I know our department here, 75% of our calls are just medical calls. There's not a lot of firefighting compared to in years past, which of course we could all agree is a good thing, but. Well, wait a minute, let me interrupt you. Okay. We can all agree it's a good thing, but I think it's fair to say that over the dinner table, there are firefighters saying, I I got into this business to fight fire. Absolutely. And while, while I will do medical runs, my primary objective is to fight fire. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and I'll admit it. I, I like the medical aspect of it, too. I, that's one thing I like about the fire services. I like the all encompassing. Um, I, I work part time for a, a large EMS system, one the third largest in North Carolina uh, for a number of years. I really enjoyed my time there. But I, again, I, I like the all encompassing challenges of the fire service, including that EMS aspect of it. Uh, as far as Fire becoming an EMS transport, filling that role. I know in a lot of parts of the country, it's it's part of it, just like running that engine, just like running that truck. Here in North Carolina, it's fewer and far between. There are some fire departments here in North Carolina that are paramedic transport agencies, but many of us here in North Carolina rely on our county-based paramedic EMS services, and we just provide non-transport EMT response. Uh, there's a handful of departments in North Carolina that are uh, advanced EMT or formerly EMT intermediates, and there might be some that are also paramedic level, but by and large, uh, the work environment that I'm used to, we're at the EMT level. Of course, we're doing more also as EMTs than in years past. You know, we, we deliver a number of drugs and medications now that in 15, 20 years ago, we just uh, didn't see that coming. We it's interesting that I teach a lot of EMT continuing education in area departments around here. And some department 
they embrace that change and some don't. Uh, it's like you were just saying, you know, they, they got to this to be firefighters and uh, they're happy to run the EMT medical calls, but they feel like, well, we're not paramedics, so why are we having to do all this? Why are we having to take protocol tests? Why are we having to memorize these drug dosages? And it's, you know, it's just part of the territory, part of the scope of what we do now. You seem like a pretty positive, optimistic guy. So I'm going to ask you to do something that might be against your nature. Okay. Tell me about changes you've seen that you don't like in the industry. Okay. Uh, obviously, we're becoming more aware of hazards such as cancer um, and the risk of cancer. A good friend of mine's actually having surgery tomorrow. He just retired from a, a larger municipal department uh, just a couple months ago and then found out he has colon cancer. And whether it's related to the job or not, we don't know. But still, fact is, that's another retired firefighter that's just been diagnosed, and he's barely past 50. Good prognosis, but that, that is what I would consider a negative uh, that we're seeing. Uh, a couple other things is that going back to the statement that we're glad things don't burn like they used to, but what's happening is people coming on board today, beginning their careers, they just don't have a lot of on-the-job training or experience. It's also becoming a lot more difficult to uh, do live burn trainings. There's just so much regulation and uh, not that that's a bad thing per se, but it does make the job more challenging. And it certainly makes it more challenging for young people to come in and get experience now. Again, I started in the in the 90s and, you know, to me that doesn't seem like that long ago, but I mean, we're hiring people here that were born in 2000. So <laughs> it's... <laughs> yeah, they're young Yes, absolutely. And, and they just haven't seen a lot of what we even used to see then. I was looking at, I just completed our annual NFPA report, fire department, and I was just looking at some of the trends nationwide. And, you know, it's obvious the number of fires has declined. And that, again, that's a good thing. But what it does is it puts a lot more emphasis on training. And while training, you can't say enough good things about, there's nothing like on the job training either. That's true. It's totally different than what you get in a burn building or in a classroom. Absolutely. All right. So I'm going to ask you to reach over, grab your crystal ball, look <laughs> in it, and tell me what you think is coming in the future of firefighting. Well, I think, you know, we're ever evolving into more medical care. I think that's just going to happen. Uh, people are living longer. Aging populations are growing. And if you look at demographics, uh, there are more uh, seniors than there are younger folk in terms of in a proportion. I think that does present challenges in terms of our medical, our EMS response is only going to increase. And I think there's some positive things on the fire prevention side that I think newer structures are going to become more and more fire resilient. And I also think that, you know, we have to look at terrorism. We have to look at emergency management aspect. And I think the fire department is going to be filling more voids in those areas uh, going forward. And, and again, those are things that, you know, 20 years ago, we didn't think much about, but things are totally different now. I mean, we, we all train for active shooters now in a much different way. Before Columbine, it's not something really any of us thought much about. And then ever since then, it's just become more on the radar. And then 9-11, all these things do uh, translate into a different way of thinking for the fire service because uh, what we're doing is having to manage things differently and think about training differently and approaching calls differently. And I think it's just going to continue to evolve in that regard. A lot of natural disasters. I know where you guys are. You've got 
you've had some serious wildfires uh, in the past several years. I mean, look at Australia right now, you know, environmental hazards, and, and we're at the forefront of that. So I think those are things that we have to prepare ourselves for. Um, on the positive side, I think technology is really going to continue to evolve. Our protective equipment, our the tools we use, I think those will only get better. So it's also, you know, technology, as I say, it's going to be incorporated more and more, you know, and that's where the younger generation today, they are more tech savvy. And, you know, I see that as a pro for them uh, coming into the fire service and some other challenges. Uh, I'll just mention real quick to Scott that I foresee in the future is just recruitment of the younger generation. Uh, we're seeing it at the career level and we're seeing it at the volunteer level. We just don't have the numbers of applicants that there used to be. I mean, there used to be a line waiting to get into the door and that line used to be long and now it's much shorter. I mean, we're still getting some great qualified, enthusiastic, eager fire professionals. But 20 years ago, uh, 25 years ago, when I was looking at starting a career, it was a much longer line. It was a much tougher task to become employed with a career department than it is today, just because of the sheer numbers of applicants. And I think that's something we really have to focus in on and look at how we're going to maintain the fire service in terms of personnel going forward. One last quick question. Is it as much fun as it used to be for you? I, I love coming to work every day. It, it, it's still good, yes. Glad to hear it. Well, we'll keep rolling with the changes. Daniel Schaffner, thanks for joining me on Code 3 today. Thank you, Scott. I really appreciate it. Daniel comes from a family of firefighters. Like many members of the fire service, that's what drives his memories of the past. What do you remember? And what changes do you like or dislike? You can leave your comments on our website at code3podcast.com slash changes. There's a link to Daniel's article there as well. If you heard something you agree or disagree with, or you just want to add your comments, you can call us at 562-337-9902 and record a voicemail. That's 562-337-9902. I may use it in an upcoming show. All right, that's it. That's all for this edition of Code 3. Thank you for listening. I'll be back next time with more, and I hope you'll be here. Why not tell a friend? I'm Scott Orr, and until then, stay safe. Code 3 is a production of Enchanted Sky Media. To contact us, get more information on today's topic, or to subscribe to the podcast, go to Code3Podcast.com.